Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. In the Army, people didn't agree with us. We've got that story, plus another genetically modified experiment fails forward. But first, some good news. Kids preferred books to screens, so schools bring back textbooks. This coming via Activist Post and originally sourced from Healthy Food House, Redham House Private School, which is located in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, Australia. Officially banned the use of iPads and has gone back to regular old textbooks. School claims that it was done due to the feedback they got from students who prefer pages to screens. The schools used the devices for the past five years but found they do not improve the technology skills of the students but hindered their learning instead. According to Principal Dave Pitcairn, students were distracted by messages and other alerts and maintained that they learned better when searching through a textbook and they found it easier to research and take notes. Students learn better the more faculties they use, the more senses they use in research and reading and making notes. Students were also shown to engage better with a physical textbook and to comprehend better when learning from actual printed textbooks. Now, as activist posts and Healthy Food House notes, we should not forget the effects of the blue light emitted by these fondle slabs, which might lead to permanent eye damage, which has been linked to mental health issues, delayed language development, obesity, sleeping, attention problems, and more. Some even note that the use of digital devices could, of course, cause addiction, depression, chronic stress, and irritability. James? What a breath of fresh air, although it's unfortunate you might have to go to an Australian private school in order to enjoy this radical new idea that putting electronic devices and googads in front of the children to distractify and infotain them might not be the best way to actually educate them. What actual physical printed books? Pen and paper? Oh no. And I realize to a generation of digital natives who are growing up, we must sound like old fuddy-duddies, but hey, I guess we are. Let's embrace it. Because as this article points out, uh, we're not the only ones crying about this. It's the Silicon Valley tech wizards who are themselves not practicing what they preach and keeping their children away from this type of technology because they know it is not conducive to actual learning. It is conducive to a range of developmental and learning disorders, disabilities, and disadvantages. So, wow, lo and behold, it turns out actually studying from books is probably the way to go. And you know what? Let's use this as a teachable moment, not just for the parents in the audience, but for the child-free and others who could also benefit from stepping away from the screen now and then. And look, again, once again, I'm not on a high horse. I also have to practice what I preach. And I realize the pull of the fondle slab, etc. The 24-hour newsfeed is always there. It's a conscious decision I've made to do more physical reading with physical books over the last couple of years. And it is better. It genuinely is better for retention, for understanding, uh, for just for getting to sleep at night. Uh, it, it's, it all helps to use the physical printed books so we can all benefit from this. And especially for the parents out there who have young, impressionable minds who are looking for ways to actually educate them rather than distractify and infotain them. James, I've got more good news at the end of this episode. But as you kind of hinted at there, there's some really other interesting stuff in this article. And again, everything we say will always be included in the show notes for people to get to go further their research. Silicon Valley parents, a.k.a. tech inventors, sending their kids to private, low-tech schools, going to desperate extremes to shield their kids from screens like spying on their nannies and making the nannies essentially sign no-screens contracts. You will not have a screen or anywhere around my kids. So, James, you know, 
folks might know I'm a fan of physical media. And again, I love streaming and all that great stuff too. But all you got to do is lose a bunch of playlists you've made to go, wait a second, I need physical media. So I think we kind of often see that with, you know, it's probably you got the guys that run the tobacco companies probably aren't smoking cigarettes anymore. We see that the, the powers that shouldn't be usually don't get high on their own supply, all the while lying about the effects of their product. So to that point, I, I kind of misspoke last week. James, you corrected me when I was talking about weaponized mosquitoes when I, I meant to say weaponized ticks. Well, lo and behold, via Gizmodo, GM mosquitoes breeding in Brazil despite biotech firms' assurances to the contrary. An experimental trial to reduce the number of mosquitoes in a Brazilian town by releasing genetically modified mosquitoes has not gone as planned. Traces of the mutated insects have been detected in the natural population of mosquitoes, which was never supposed to happen. The deliberate release of 450,000 transgenic mosquitoes in Jacobino, Brazil, has resulted in the unintended genetic contamination of the local population of mosquitoes. This according to new research published last week in Scientific Reports. Going into the experimental trial, the British biotech company running the project, Oxitech, assured the public that this wasn't going to happen. Consequently, the incident's raising concerns about the safety of this and similar experience and our ability, inability rather, to accurately predict the outcomes. And again, this is coming from sort of the mainstream outlets. So there is a little bit of like, gosh, this wasn't the idea. This wasn't the plan. The official story of the experiment was to curb the spread of mosquito-borne diseases such as yellow finger, yellow fever, dengue, Zika, all, all that nasty stuff. To that end, Oxitec turned to OX513A, a proprietary transgenically modified version of the Aedes aegypti mosquito, a lab-grown strain originally sourced from Cuba and genetically mixed with a strain from Mexico. The claim was that genes from the released strain would not get into the general population because offspring would die. That obviously was not what happened. Transgenic Aedes aegypti mosquitoes transfer genes into a natural population, James. That is the original research there on nature.com. Absolutely. This is an important story. And let's take note of what you noted there about the ostensible reason that these types of trials are un, uh, uh, undergoing and on way, uh, underway and ongoing is because of things like the Zika hype scare. Do you remember that? Because you might have blinked and missed it. But we did cover it at the time here on New World Next Week. And I did cover it in interviews and articles and videos I was doing at that time. I invite you to search Zika on the Corbett Report website for that coverage. And you will find that I was talking about it at that time. And I believe, if memory serves, I did talk about the genetically modified mosquito idea that they were going to or starting to float at that time as a way of helping to solve the spread of mosquito-borne illnesses like Zika, which, by the way, it was a bunch of hype and nonsense around inflated figures and a lot of statistical sh chicanery that was going on at the WHO. Surprise, surprise. But those are the types of things that are rolled out. Everyone panics and freaks out about them so that they can get these types of things justified. And then years later, they go, oops, well, it turns out, yeah, we were kind of spreading these genetic mutations that, oh, have kind of found their way into the natural uh, mosquito population, even though we swore it wouldn't happen. Oops, you know, better luck next time. And that that is unfortunately the way that this is being portrayed. If you actually go and read that Nature article, it's very calm, very dry, very scientific, and it basically comes to the conclusion, well, that's why we must be very careful in 
the future to have genetic screening programs in place so that we can track and monitor these types of uh, uh, these genetic monstrosities as we release them into the wild. Not, let's stop doing this, actually altering the genome of the planet and the species living on it. No, let's not stop that. Let's just make sure that we can monitor and track it better so that we understand what's happening. And, and, and then what? Throw up our hands and say, oops, oh well, well that genetic mutation's out in the natural population now, nothing we can do. This is a genuine environmental crisis, and you will note that this is not the environmental crisis that is on the headline news every night. This is not the one that 16-year-old girls are going out in front of the UN and making impassioned speeches. Oh, you're killing the planet and hurting the children. No, this is the one they don't, desperately do not want you to look at, which is probably a sign that you should be looking at this particular environmental crisis, which, unlike some of the other ones that get hyped, is actually a crisis. James, what's the famous saying? You supply the pictures, I'll supply the pandemic freakout, the photos that went along, because I remember because I used them on, on some of my own episodes. They look like horror movies or a heavy metal band of just, you know, hazmat suits and spraying smoke everywhere quite genuinely horrifying photos. And that's the kind of stuff, again, that they kind of push and push and push because the scary, scary photos, so it must be true. Our third and final story this week on New World Next Week, episode 386, a half decade late, the New York Post admits ISIS is run by NATO member Turkey. This via Zero Hedge pointing out what New York Post is talking about. And they ask, why isn't the media covering Turkish President Erdogan's ties to ISIS? New York Post details the evidence of Erdogan's direct, personal, and institutional support for ISIS and related jihadi groups is so extensive. The wonder is why American media is not paying more attention to it. It's Erdogan's commitment to global jihad and specifically to ISIS terrorists. Scores of ISIS fighters captured by pro-U.S. Kurdish forces in northern Syria showed Turkish exit stamps on their passports and otherwise boasted of the direct assistance they have received from Turkish authorities. So that is the headline from New York Post. Why isn't the media covering Turkish President Erdogan's ties to ISIS? James, do you want me to hit you with the other one before I throw it back to you? Go ahead. So the other sort of, I think, <laughs> I, I'm calling this low-yield truth bombs. They, they work, but, you know, it's a, a decade or so past date. Pakistan Army trained al-Qaeda back when jihadis were heroes. Speaking to the Council on Foreign Relations in New York on Monday, because, of course, all the critters from around the world are all in the big rotten apple for the big UN General Assembly. That's what ties in with the environmental hype and all that good stuff. Speaking to, but, of course, while they're doing that, and, and again, we've seen this in years past, that's when they have to sneak away to the Bilderberg meeting, or in this case, a little more public, the Council on Foreign Relations. Pakistan's prime minister was asked... If Islamabad had carried out an investigation into how al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden was allegedly able to live in Pakistan for years before being found and killed by U.S. Navy SEALs in 2011, he said, quote, The Pakistani Army, ISI, Inter-Services Intelligence, trained al-Qaeda and all these groups to fight the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. There were also links between Pakistan and al-Qaeda. There had to be links because they trained them. After 9-11, when we did a 180-degree turn, we went after these groups. You know, not everyone agreed with us. In the Army, people didn't agree with us. So, James, there are two, again, decent examples of, I think, what we've been going in here a, a lot in our recent weeks of just, it's all coming out, but it comes out in just such a mundane, limited, hangout kind of way, James. 
Exactly right. Low yield truth bomb is a good way of putting it because it's not just a day late and a dollar short, it's a decade late and a trillion dollars short. And that's the key to all of this. I mean, look at the excluded factors in these stories. When we talk about Pakistan's ISI without mentioning that it has been since its inception and nothing more or less than an adjunct of the CIA, you're kind of excluding an important part of that whole puzzle. And when we talk about Syria, for example, and ISIS, the ISIS crisis, uh, it, it, it genuinely pains me to think there are so many people standing out there on the bottom rung of the propaganda ladder, turning to rags like the New York Post to find out a decade after the fact, oh, it turns out Turkey was kind of behind this ISIS thing, uh, when you could have been getting this information from the alternative media for a very long time, including, of course, the Corbett Report, perhaps most notably episode 295 of the Corbett Report podcast, who is really behind ISIS, where, yes, of course, at that time, I was pointing out Turkey was part of that whole uh, operation to create and fund and give rise to ISIS, but only one part of that. I mean, as an example, of course, we know that arms and supplies and as well as jihadis were being shipped from Libya through Turkey and Jordan into Syria. That's just one side of it. There's the Israel side of it, of course, the NATO side of it, the US side of it, the Qatar side of it, Saudi Arabia was involved in it. All of those various pieces were in play, and I did detail that at the time in episode 295, so I would exhort you to go and re-familiarize yourself with that material if you are new to all of this information and somehow or other have stumbled from the New York Post onto New World next week. Well, thank you. I'm glad you made it here, but uh, it's time to start waking up to the reality that we've been living in for a very long time and that the lowest rung of the propaganda ladder is never going to really reveal to you. They're just going to give you bits and pieces when it's politically expedient to do so. And now that Erdogan in Turkey uh, is pretty expendable in the overall uh, State Department uh, witch list, hunt list for today, then we can throw out some, some a little bit of that red meat to give people a little, enough of the truth that they can smell, oh, there's some truth to that. And that, so they'll go along with it. Although, where's the rest of that meal? It's being occluded from your attention. Well, it's here at things like New World Next Week and at the Corporate Report. That's yeah, that's what I was going to say, James. It was like, let's th th think on the positive side that the, maybe we will get some folks to go, huh, maybe there is a little more to this. And then they'll search it. And of course, all our searches will be buried by the companies that <laughs> run all this stuff. Uh, it's a slow fight sometimes, indeed. I said I had a little bit more good news at the end of this episode. I do have the latest episode of my own spinoff from New World Next Week. I call it Good News Next Week. Brand new episode is Become Your Own Knitting Factory with stories like New Orleans on the hook to repay victims of the unconstitutional red light camera system. A court ruled travelers can sue the TSA for abusive conduct and the technology to make your own clothes gets better and better. Really fascinated by that story, James. It's a lot like 3D printing. Imagine someone essentially being able to 3D print your own clothes. So, as I always like to remind folks, I stream news, music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time, although I'm taking a little bit of time off because we're going to go visit Portland because, you know, i got to go to see Morrissey and Interpol next week, James. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Well, there may be other things as well, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for later. Anyway, it's also, just on a sidebar, it is coming up on the one-decade mark of New World Next Week. For those paying attention at home, it was October 2009 that this whole thing started, so... Well, just hold on for some 10-year anniversary coverage. On that note, we're going to leave it there. James, I hope people will check out Media Monarchy. And while you're away on hiatus, I hope they'll check out CorbettReport.com. We'll be talking to you again real soon. All right. Thanks so much, buddy. Take care.